I did, and I did the work, and I made peace with it, and then I went to go live my life. And I was like, okay, so that there's the that there's what it is, it's because you were able to walk away, you were able to make peace when so many other people didn't have peace, they didn't have justice or peace, and they had racist police. Listening to Neem Talks Race, the interview series, episode two. Today I talked to Kellen and Kaya both about their experience as a white person when having conversations about race, how they've acknowledged their privilege, their whiteness, critical race studies, and more. I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you for coming today. We're going to talk about white people and their understanding of racism, how you guys come to understand whiteness, white privilege, because I know there's a lot of white people right now, especially who are all of a sudden feeling more motivated to talk about race. Um, so yeah, I'll introduce myself first. I'm Tisneem, I use she, her pronouns. I identify as Arab or Brown, either works for me. Kaya, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, I'm Kaya. I identify with she, her pronouns and identify as white. And I'm Kellen. I identify with he, him pronouns and I also identify as white. Okay, great. So I wanted to start off by talking about how both of you guys were raised when it came to discussions about race. Because I know um, with Liam and Layla, we all talked about like the first moment where we kind of realized we weren't white, which was a funny thing to hear from other people. So I'm just curious for the both of you, were there conversations about race growing up? And if there was, what did that look like? So whoever wants to start. I guess I'll start. Um, So my mom has always been like super involved in social justice work and has been in the past on the board of different organizations, you know, combating different elements of racism. And so I think it definitely took a while for her to really realize the gravity of sort of what um, she was all taking in. But I do remember um, one night uh, when I was about 11 or 12, um, her coming home from uh, a meeting with her group and sort of just, you know, I was like, what's wrong? You know, what's going on? And she just had to explain to me like white privilege that like, that second um, and just sort of explained to me um, that I don't see it necessarily, but you know, that doesn't mean that it's not happening everywhere that I walk and every, with everything that I do. So it was, it was really hard for me to grasp. I think um, when I first, I was sort of in denial um, when I first heard about it sort of, and I think I might've been a bit too young, but you know, I think that, uh, Race is just such a mature topic in society today, but really it's just so simple, it seems like. Um, and so I think it was, it's just hard for a lot of younger uh, white folks to really grasp it. But um, I didn't quit, you know, I kept on trying and eventually got to the point where I felt comfortable enough um, with my whiteness that I was able to use it to speak out, sort of. Um, you know, your whiteness does not have to be the death of you, basically. (laughs) My folks, uh, well, they didn't talk 
especially like it was a little bit off topic anytime we like it was on it was on race it wasn't super direct like from what I can recall but um it really was like clear to me that I was a white person when I well so I grew up in Las Vegas I'm not from Portland so I'm in a much more diverse like um community so I had two best friends um one was uh Asian American and then the other was um, um biracial and so it was very like it was those were some of my first friends as well so it was like a really easy beginning I guess to understand the value of like people of color in my life um and I also then it really hit me in like sixth grade when I went well I went to this uh, IB school in Las Vegas and it was put in a part of town that was high in poverty because they wanted the better uh, the better schools and lower um, income districts and so I went way across town to go to that school and I was one of the three percent of white people in that school so it was it was very different I mean like it was kind of I mean it was just strange you know as and um, that was really when I was understanding like okay there's a lot of other people that don't look like me. And I started to ask my parents questions. I was like, so is it just like, we're all different people? Like, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like my parents are very, are very spiritual. My grandma, especially. So that's where she kind of came in. And my mom too, she's an immigrant from Lithuania. So she's also a very different set. They don't really talk about race because everybody's white there. Um, my dad, uh, their parents have like Lebanese as well as um, I think Irish, a lot of different um, makeup. And so he, my dad sat me down like later in, and was like, yes, we are. So we're white people. We have privilege. But it was it's super late for me because I kind of already understood the basics from my friends more than my parents. Yeah, because I noticed that there's a difference between families of color and white people when they come to talking about race because people of color often have these conversations when they're super young because they kind of have to and especially with young black men and young black people in general of all identities they have to have this conversation super early but when you look at white families talking about race not all of them but a majority feel like that's a mature topic like I can't talk about that with my kid because right it's like too complicated, but it there's so much science and research out there that when you're super young, like even when you're a baby, like you can tell simply because of the color of your skin compared to other people. And that's like where it starts, like the whole mentality of who are you with in this group versus who's not you. And that's like the out group. So I've just found it so interesting that I think that's especially a big thing in Portland and at least I've seen in our community that a lot of white students don't talk about race until middle school or high school and both of you guys took a very I think a more unique route by taking critical race you know that's not offered at a lot of high schools as far as I know and right. especially white people to kind of I guess take a, a different role of educating themselves not that you can't know about race if you don't take critical race, you know, you can obviously read on your own and do all these things, but you know, that's not a resource that's always available. So I think taking a class on it is definitely interesting. And I know Liam brought up an activity 
you guys did in that class where mm -hmm. you wrote down like the most racist thing you've said in your past were both of you there yeah when that happened yeah what, what yeah, was, was that like I, I, I just want to hear your perspective because well. <laughs> that was very funny yeah, it was so it was funny because for me, so I was a TA for three, four when Kellen was in it. Right. So um, I had already taken that class the year before. And I when I did it the year before, oh, my gosh, it was terrifying because, first of all. It was a bunch. So I was the only like one of the one of three juniors in that class with a bunch of seniors. And of course, it was a little near more near the middle of the year. So I was getting to know them and I had already had most of them in one, too. But it was still awkward, you know, it, you know, mm -hmm, for me. Yeah. But I also had done a lot of personal thought, but writing it down is very different. I, like, that's definitely what, what it takes to really have that click in your mind, especially for white people, because something you can say something and then forget about it and let it float away but you write it down you're putting that in paper in like that's solid that's how civilization has like deemed things important you know as writing them down and yeah. that's what i think is so crazy is that so many white people don't do is they don't claim their own racism and that's what that whole activity was important you know it's claiming that internalized white supremacy that is so built up in us for so many years and honestly it was so like it was so relieving because I had I mean I had told like Beja you know my best friend who is mixed um and that like about my racism and she had seen it firsthand because we were racist together. I mean she wasn't racist she was prejudiced but we were doing that together as young ignorant middle schoolers in Portland you know it's very easy to be and it was also a culture shock for me so I was like this is so weird there's so many white people but anyway that's the topic that yeah when she said we're gonna share it I was like <laughs> you guys are really like okay if you want to hear this this is on like it was just I no didn't words you just had no I words. words I I mean I we had to name them because she like made us name all the feelings we were feeling on the board and I was just like this is it everyone's gonna hate me <laughs> and not even that I wasn't like everyone's gonna hate me I was just like I just hope they know that I'm working on myself yeah yeah that's what it really was because like it's so it's the fear of not wanting to be called a racist especially by people in your class who you've been in community with for so many for like two years right mm -hmm. so like that fear was so so real and that's what every white person goes through every time they talk about race is that fear that they're going to be called a racist by somebody that they care about and they have to defend themselves you know that good bad binary just comes right out and that's a, yeah. and that, that was such an important activity for me yeah what was that like Kellen? yeah i'd feel really similar to what kaya was saying you know that moment of just when she revealed that we were going to be sharing everything that we had written in a group of white people to all of the other people of color in the class, I think that every white person just had their stomach <laughs> drop like, collectively. Um, and I just thought it was awesome because, you know, the learning only happens outside of your comfort zone. You can't, you know, be comfortable and be growing as much um, on your own. And so I just, I felt like it was the, one of the most um, revealing ways to get white people to come to terms with 
you know, their past, you know, we all have skeletons in our closets or whatever, but you know, we, we don't have the time to change what we've once done. All, all we can really focus on is how can we get better and how can we make this future, you know, better for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also such a simple, um, in, uh, activity. It's incredibly, so all yeah. she did was ask us five questions or no, four questions, four questions about our past and racism. Do you and, remember what they were? Oh, one of them maybe. I remember one of them. It was, um, a racist thing I said was blank. That was one of them. Um, do you remember any other ones? Kelly? I think like a racist stereotype that you might have like held was one of them, maybe. I think that was one. You know, it honestly, um, it was just a lot of really like hard hitting questions that just it like were. I feel like they're more just things that you'd normally think about to yourself, but you know, writing them out in front of a group was definitely like super. Um, vulnerable for everyone it made everyone super um even in a crowd of white people like yeah. we don't feel comfortable yeah. discussing it with each other yeah mm-hmm. for sure and that's why i feel like it was also nice because since i was there for his class i kind of helped tried to help alleviate some of that um that weirdness because i already knew what it felt like and i was like listen i understand this is totally weird but like mm-hmm. i promise it gets better like i do yeah so from what you've seen in that class, like besides that exercise, what do you think has been set up like really well, at least in the environment to get more white people at least to feel comfortable talking about race, especially when there's POC in the room as well in the same environment and to like own up, I guess, to their past or be able to ask a question without being afraid of what people will think of you, you know? Like what what else has I guess you've seen worked or helped? I would say the number one thing that helped me get through like a lot of the more rough times was just like the leadership that we had in the class. You know, Miss Best is one of she's hardly even a teacher. She's just more of like a mentor to all of us and just someone to just look up to forever. And so her presence, um, I think, in our class just really balanced things out a lot of times. You know, she could really sense when, you know, there was a feeling in the room that, like, needed to go away. And she had just a full plan for everything that she wanted to accomplish. And um, I think one of her biggest secrets that she uses is the backwards planning technique, Um, visualizing what you want to see as the end goal or accomplishment and then working backwards from there to create steps to reach it. Um, and I think that so many of what we, so many of the activities that we did in that space was um, just purely based out of intention of getting us one step closer, you know? Um, and I think that this issue is so big that you can't expect to sit down and make huge progress. Um, you have to be consistent about it. And so I think it takes white people that are willing to show up to class um, twice or three times a week and be consistent and show up the same way. After being, you know, critically thinking about things more and leaving that space to the rest of your classes, how have you seen, I guess, race function at Lincoln, just from your perspective and just watching everything? 
I mean, it's like, it's crazy. I mean, you are in this space where you're so dialed in and so, and everybody's at this unique, all the same, but yet all the same level of understanding. And then you move outside of that and people are like way down there or like some people at your level, but like still not at your level or like, and like your teachers aren't at your level. And then it's like, okay, maybe we need to like see what's like really think about what's going on here and see what we can do to make it better. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it just became hard for me to not say anything. Because I would just recognize something and be like, uh, mm, see, I'm just going to stop you right there because X, Y, and Z, you know, and break it down. Because I had the language and I had the the definitions. That's what really set it off. And one, two, when you get your definitions down and you understand what racism really is and that it's just, that it's so much more than just prejudice, mm -hmm. then it's so much easier to understand how, why racism functions the way it does and yeah. how to interrupt it. It's literally so easy to interrupt because you can feel it every time that it comes around. And what's in what so many white people are able to do is just kind of brush it off and not feel it. But for me, at, after being in that class for so long, especially in being with Miss Best in that intentional space, like I couldn't just let that slide anymore. It just yeah. wasn't, it didn't, it didn't feel right in my heart. It didn't. Because, and like, I'd imagine because like you have people of color, I guess, introduced yeah. into your life early on, that that in conjunction with you learning more just kind of built up for you to, I guess, you know, want to speak out and talk. Yeah, it really that I think definitely like one big thing more white people need to realize is that, that they actually need friends of color and they also need to listen to like people of color when they speak, you know, like it, whether it's on Instagram or like they're just posting like some live or whatever. Like I've seen so many people posting lives like in this current climate, you know, um, and so a lot of people of colors, black people especially, and I'll sit there and I will listen so intently because it's just that inherent understanding that they have, that their words are actually important. Yeah. You know? I feel like that adds on to, I've seen a lot of white folks on Instagram lately been saying, you know, I mean, so many things, but just one in particular, just to start out with, like, I understand that I will never understand and I think that's good sentiment. You know, you're trying to be um, sort of vulnerable and nice. But at the same time, you know, shouldn't be, we be working as white people to understand? Like, isn't that more of the goal to, like, actually understand? And so the only way you can do that is by shutting up and listening. And <laughs> Say I think that. I think that it takes a little bit of a little bit less of thinking about yourself and your, you know, your immediate community and more about thinking about what is this going to look like, you know, after we're done. Yeah. And that kind of brings into another thing I wanted to talk about with social media right now and how a majority of white people our age and like even around the world have been using it because I've just noticed an insane amount of people being more vocal on social media. And I know there's, good and bad ways of using social media to talk about these things but one thing I've noticed is so many in particular with white feminists just stepping over other POC voices and especially right now black voices 
and I've just been so frustrated with that. I have, like, I'll see, I don't know how many things they've reposted to their story, like, 15 to 20 things after, like, one thing after another, and the way it's phrased when they do talk, they're, like, they kind of avert the problem from themselves, like, I think they feel validated by reposting these things, and it's been annoying to see because, you know, one week ago, you weren't doing this, like, at all, and all of a sudden, social media is, like, your best friend to talk about these things, so, yeah. That's I've been annoying. feeling a lot of this, the same things with that, you know, um, I've been, I posted something just if like on blackout Tuesday that's what it was um and I was really like I I had seen a few people posting it the night before and then I woke up to a bunch of people talking about it and I was just like wow like you know this is like literally the most basic form of performative activism right blacking out your screen putting it on there using one hashtag maybe two hashtags probably the wrong hashtag right Right. hashtagging black lives matter and and clogging up that hashtag which is what we need to use when we're protesting and when we're trying to find information right and that was so frustrating to me because so many people did it and i even saw so many people of color doing it and that was even the sad part for me because i was like of course like yes i feel that you want to support and show that you care and you know validate yourself especially for and for anybody really but like some I mean it's just it's like it's generating more money for Instagram when you're doing that and which is a company that does nothing for us and you're just like really trying to appease to yourself especially with that white feminist piece a lot of the white women that I've been seeing on on my social media are really trying to do a lot of educating instead of um, educating other people instead of educating themselves like they'll, they'll just like sit there and type something like I've seen countless like like five six seven different yeah, long yeah. paragraphs on one story right and some of them don't know what they're talking about some of them are getting the point but it's at the same time it's like I know you have a lot of white friends and white audience however a different thing you could be doing is looking for the people of color actually saying the same thing getting the full point across and then just posting that yeah instead of like using your own voice because yeah. that's really i think what a lot of people miss the point is that you don't as white people you don't actually always have to use your voice you use your voice as the microphone for other voices that's the that's the important part for social media yeah. especially Absolutely. and like reposting is great and i think that a lot of people are getting better at it but i heard this really good phrase that someone had said to me or that i had watched on someone's um live instagram and they were they were like listen after this dies down and and uh, every and life goes back to normal there is no black back to normal for black people right there's a back to normal for white people who get to stop posting on instagram as frequently and you get to stop doing that but black people are still fighting for their yeah. lives right and so that's where the disconnect is and I thought that, that was so important and it also made me at first question myself because I post I started posting more but I had always been posting right so like I'd always been trying yeah. to do better but it was easier right to post more because there's more information all of a sudden yeah right so that was definitely like helpful and I had to check myself and be like okay am I just speaking from my perspective or am I amplifying you really and it's 
constantly that looking in yourself. That's what we as white yeah. people need to be looking And at, at the same time, I just talked to some people earlier that, you know, they are more aware of race, whether they have these conversations with friends or with organizations, they read, whatever. They said it themselves that they feel a pressure to post on social media because people might be aware that, oh, I know so-and-so likes to talk about this. Like, where's their social media post? And then they might invalidate you and your under and your like personal activism just because you don't post on social media. And I think that kind of attack comes from the white people who are now using social media and now feel super validated by it. Right. And so I understand, like, maybe you feel this like subconscious pressure, like, oh, I'm in critical race. Like, do people expect me to go on social media? But I think people yeah. need to realize that social media is like not the only way of activism. And for Blackout Tuesday, I saw this quote where someone said, it's easier to see a black screen than a black face. And that's why a lot of people who I guess maybe even in real life haven't had these conversations all of a sudden want to post a black screen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that there's a Maya Angelou quote that really goes along with that, which is, you know, be careful when a naked person offers you a shirt. Um, and I think that, you know, there are a lot of white folks who just aren't ready to be posting about stuff on social media. Yeah, very true. Your activism just isn't at the point yet where you should be, you know, sending out your message because you haven't listened enough to lived experiences to know that what you're saying, you aren't confident enough in what you are saying. You're just saying it out of rage, out of a reaction based um, claim sort of. Or wanting to get a reaction from other people to like think that they're, not racist anymore and just really not even knowing themselves like so many of these white people posting don't know themselves and don't know how they have impacted people of color in their life and how their white internalized white supremacy shows up every single damn day like and that's what's the important part like that's the first step is looking at yourself nothing can be done until that point Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> like because every because it, it doesn't even come out of integrity because you're not actually following the words that you're speaking out into the world word and operating on like white guilt can also be super bad because then you're not genuine and I think that's what a lot of white people are feeling right now whether that's they said to me like after listening to part one of the podcast and they're like oh my god I've learned so much I had no idea this was happening and I was like understand like the intention like you mean well but it was just crazy like wow you're 18 and you didn't know this was a thing at Lincoln like (laughs) I'm you know at least you know now but I was just like shocked I was like it was yeah it was just really just I like couldn't help but you know just kind of laugh at it all I was like how are some of you that like blind to it and if white people feel guilty then every action they take to try and like educate themselves wouldn't be genuine because they just want to make themselves feel better. They don't want Mm. to, I guess, make the world a less racist environment. So I was wondering what you guys might have like opinions on that whole like white guilt and activism and how that might kind of disrupt or, or that feeling might make white people not want to take action. Yeah, I mean, white guilt is definitely something that is 
hard because we're not socialized to um to sit with that emotion and to under to really understand it it's um it's just like oh you want to get away from it that's what everybody wants they don't want to like be like okay this is me this is how i feel because of what has happened in our country in my life how i've acted and you just like it's it can get overwhelming to a point where you don't want to do anything and i definitely know what that feels like because i've been at that point but then you have to realize that when you get to stop paying attention is again where your privilege comes in you know and where you're able to walk away from something that is so important and that's kind of i had to like kind of explain my grandmother that because she was like i fought for for racial justice and i did and i did the work and i made peace with it and then i went to go live my life and i was like okay so that there's the that there's what it is it's because you were able to walk away you were able to make peace when so many other people didn't have peace they didn't have justice or peace and they had racist police right so like and yeah. <laughs> nice and, rhymes right, right. Low key. Uh, <laughs> that's one of them chants man but um and I was like yeah, that's and and she just was like well I shouldn't have to feel guilty for that and I was like well okay I mean if you if you want to believe that then like that because you know with the older generation it's a lot harder but with younger people I'm like well why wouldn't you want to why wouldn't you want to fight like these are everything that you benefit from and that you do in society in america is pretty much off black people like that's kind of what i was going like with cultural appropriation and all that like black culture is ingrained in america there's almost no way to get around it yeah i was just gonna say like your food comes off the back of mexican people too like like every aspect comes from a different group that has been designated to work cheap labor. You know, Asians make our clothes. Uh, Latinos make harvest all of our food. African-Americans work all of the jobs that no white person would ever think of working. And so we have these different races that are filling gaps in our society that aren't actually being given true importance, but more just a place filler role so they can you know stay level-headed not go not you know take what isn't theirs according to uh the powerful people that run our country yeah and it can lead to a lot of stereotypes too you know like when people kind of stereotype the typical jobs for a bunch of different um racial yeah. groups and people i think a lot of white people don't realize how systematic a lot of these things are especially exactly when understanding race like there's a reason why you might see a majority of one race doing this one job because white supremacy in white america won't let them or enable them to do more and i think a lot of white people you know when people say oh all cops are bad and then they're like well not all of them i think people don't realize that racism and just racist things that happen isn't just like a one-on-one -on -one thing, just like right. as an individual, it's like an entire system, like healthcare, the government, the justice system, school. I think people need to realize that it's more than just, you know, one bad person in a school. Like it's, right. 
it's all I've very systematic. To, yeah, I've had to teach to a few of my white friends in the last couple of years that black people were not more inherently athletic than white people, that it's just the way that culture and society has forced black people to become entertainers, to dance around on the stage for white people, that that is the only reason that leagues like the NBA and the NFL are so um, dominated by black athletes. That reminds me of Hoop Fest, <laughs> that thing, you know. All I'm going to say is I think some white boys were intimidated by good black athletes, you know, who were... No. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say and right. that right. whole restorative justice process didn't I'm trying to make sure that this restorative justice whatever she had planned still goes on because there are still people in our school who have felt the impact of that article and the way that our whole system as a or a whole school as a system handled that situation and the lack of care that there was yeah that situation. if anything I think it made a lot of the white people involved kind of lean more into kind of their whiteness. You know, I know it may not have been like overtly racially motivated, but just kind of watching how things went down, things that were said afterwards, you can't help but think about how race was involved in that, which was very interesting. Yeah. And then that kind of reminded me of another thing I wanted to talk about. I think a lot of white people think like reverse racism exists. So do any of you want to explain what that is? Because I think a lot of white people might hear that and they're like, well, like, what is, like, what is that? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, well, I feel like, well, I mean, reverse racism is, is a hoax. So, I mean, there is, so racism is, you break it down, right? So it's, there's these two kind of big parts. There is social and institutional power. Um, which is like looking like most having an all, mostly white teachers at Lincoln High School and having mostly like just white people at, as in higher positions in institutions and in socials and like you know having that that power plus racial prejudice right so it's two things combined that equals racism right so racial prejudice is possible from from any race to any race. You can be prejudiced as a person of color to a white person and you can be prejudiced to your own people. That's different because that's internalized racism, right? But prejudice mm -hmm. is possible for everybody. But that reverse racism, it doesn't work because people of color don't hold the societal and the institutional power. They are only prejudiced. They don't like, they don't, they aren't reaping benefits from yeah. being from being uh, prejudiced, right? Mm -hmm. Like another thing that made me think about was like when white kids say like racist jokes and there's a person of color in that room, like they're affected by it. But if, you know, that person of color makes a white people joke, at the end of the day, the white person still has more power. That joke doesn't kind of further belittle them. You right. know, they're still going to have that power. Right. So. And yeah, I think a lot of people think it, it is real. You know, I've seen that. Yeah. They're like, oh, that was racist to white people. Like, I'm offended. And like, Yeah, and the, thing, and the thing about it is, like, I mean, I have, so since I have so many friends of color, they've said, I mean, they've said countless things about white people. And, and the crazy, the funny thing is to me is that all the things they say are true, right? So it's like, it's like, yeah, white people are racist. And 
I'm a white person and I have been racist and I still am racist because I hold that power, right? And I'm not afraid to admit that because I know that I'm working against it at any point that I can, right? And like my friends will make those jokes and I'll be like, I can't even be mad at you because you're just, you're just making a assumption about people who have been oppressing your people for years. So it, it's like, how can you be mad at that sometimes for me? And it just, I just am able to go along with it because I know, and also because I know they're not talking about me, which is like, you know, and which is hard to combat, you know, because it's like, you don't want to see yourself as a part of the group, but ultimately you are, but you're kind of in like a subgroup that like understands that you're in the group, you know? It's it's really interesting, like how it how it plays out in my head at least. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I would say um as far as that goes, you know, as long as you're consistent, as long as um I honestly love making fun of white people. Um I'll just, I'll just yeah. say it. Uh, and honestly, cool. I think yeah, I mean, I can, I've gotten to the point where I'm comfortable enough about my whiteness and my place and where I belong that I know that white people doesn't mean me. It means dominant culture. It means literally the oppressive um, forces that are holding people back. And so I don't think that's offensive. I think that that's correct, you know? And I think that once we can become more confident with making fun of white people, you know, why do we make fun of people of color? White people are the funny ones anyways, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's so many opportunities in Portland, so many subgroups of, like, you got the outdoorsy Pacific Northwest white people, <laughs> have, like, Karen, and you have Karens, oh, and the male equivalent, <laughs> you know? The, the male equivalent has to be, like, Paul or something, like, you know? There's There's a lot of names, like, there's um, a lot. I don't know. There's there's a lot. But something about Karen is like you Karen know, really that's, yeah. and the funny part, oh my gosh, you guys, my aunt's name is Karen. <laughs> and or my great aunt, so my grandma's sister. And she on on Facebook, she just I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm very outspoken. She offended by that? Is she is she offended by the term Karen? Yes, because I posted, I said, we need to stop calling these white women Karen and call them what they are, white supremacists. And she was like, hey, 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 can we use a different name? And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, she, and then she comments under my Black Lives Matter post, humans matter. And I was like, oh God, it did not just start with her. I thought she was a good one. I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. You never know which ones are the good ones though. You really never know. And then she like posts something about like supporting the law enforcement and was like, please don't riot. We need to go back to work. And she said nothing about George Floyd. And I was like, so that's exactly why I'm blocking you. And I'm not even entered. Well, no, at first I didn't block her. Cause I was like, I'm going to keep posting stuff and see what she sees and see how she reacts to it because she's going to read it regardless. Right. Yeah. And that's something that you have to do with, with other white folks is you just have to let them see your stuff, post everything that you know is going to trigger them, let them get triggered and then really reflect and be like, okay. Cause I posted this other thing about um, MLK quotes. I was like, most of the quotes that these white people aren't sharing, right. It's like riots are the, are the language of the unheard things like that, you know, like more, I mean, 
more truthful sides of MLK. You know, I mean, MLK is definitely the most gentrified uh, Black activist in in our civil rights movement. And they see, and white people see what they want to see from him. So I posted that and she comments, um, Mm, I don't know. That doesn't sound like something Dr. King would say. I'm going to have to fact check that. So me and Beja hopped on and we um, we just started finding screenshots of the quotes that he said on Google and just we just uploaded each one of them to her. It was like tagging her like, yes, these are all his quotes. <laughs> so it's just yeah. interesting, you know, how that's a, how that's an interesting phrase, like gentrified black activists, because I think that happens to a lot of on social media right now, the way people, I guess, choose what to say or how they say it is very gentrified in a way. I, I don't know. I, I like that term. Yeah. Funny. That's a good, especially that's very Portland. Very. That's I mean, very. very it's it's been really interesting being in Portland versus like as and and going coming here in sixth grade was like after being at a school with majority people of color, it was totally different. Like, I was like, wow, there's a lot of people that are white. I actually, actually asked my dad when I got to Portland, I was like, um, where are all the black people? Like, because we walked down the street and I just didn't see any black people. I was like, dad, this is not what I'm used to. Like, what is happening here? And it just, and then I started learning the history of Oregon and it made more sense. So that's another thing why people can do. Learn the history of the state that you live in. Whew. I remember in part two, um, we were talking about cultural appropriation and the ways in which we see a lot of, you know, white boys and white girls kind of pick and choose from certain cultures, especially black culture right now. And I think it's very interesting to see those individuals do that and not speak up against racism or anti-blackness and but I guess you as a white person how have you seen that at Lincoln or in Portland in general and you know why why do you think people would want to do that you know because I'm just curious what like why would you think I guess coming from your perspective why would you think people do that so I feel like right now uh this specific point in time um america is running on black culture you know it's the one thing that is sort of fueling the country it is the number one uh source of revenue in the united states right now the number one export uh is black culture uh and so i think you know it's it's being marketed in ways that we haven't even seen before you know it's it's sort of the lines become blurry um, sometimes when, you know, white culture embraces certain parts of uh, blackness and black culture. Um, And it becomes almost like Kaya said, gentrified, like you're gentrifying parts of their culture and what is important to them. Uh, And so I think it's really important to um, keep, you know, put your money where your mouth is, you know, and just remember that people are looking at you when you're out in public. And even if you don't think that, you know, what you have on um, or your fresh new haircut from Mexico isn't going to offend other people, um, it very well could. And I think that it takes a level of maturity to think about 
uh, in your own head, like, hmm, is my outfit that I'm wearing today going to cause distress for another person? Is this going to, is everyone going to agree with this, basically? And I think that, um, you know, that going along with uh, white supremacy, you know, it's, it's really important to make sure that um, you're keeping it 100 and you're not, you know, we commit, even allies and people that care about anti-racism, you know, commit acts of racism all the time without realizing it. And so if you're lucky enough to, you know, pick up on it in the moment and be like, oh shit, this was not cool, you know, do something about it and learn because you won't make the same mistake twice if, you, if it matters enough to you. Yeah, that's very true. I think a lot of people, um, especially white people are very put off from thinking about those things because then they feel bad, they feel guilty and they kind of want to give up and then that makes them, you know, they just don't want to admit that they do have racist tendencies and it's very important for people to, you know, actively work on it because, you know, everyone's always learning and I think someone said, you know, like there's a culture of perfection, you know, at Lincoln and I'm sure in other places where people feel this need to be perfect in their activism. And I think that's the thing with social media. I think a lot of people think that there's a certain way activism should look like. And if I'm doing this certain way, then I'm not racist anymore. Like I have achieved this perfect way of like being anti-racist. And that's like not true. So many people have different ways of doing that. So I think people, especially white people, just need to realize, you just need to keep pushing through whatever it is you realize you're doing that's bad, you know, until like it really acknowledge it in the moment, not not to just kind of brush it off or throw it away. And I feel like you should never be down on yourself for learning new information that makes a difference. Like you should never judge the past you for making that decision when you just didn't know better. Um, and that being said, you need to make sure that you know, the implications are contained. You have to make sure that this was maybe just a one-time thing or, you know, you have to make sure that none of your friends or, or people that you care about are gonna do similar things. So it takes some awareness. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of going back to cultural appropriation, I have a few feelings because, um, I mean, I've, always grown up around a lot of black people so it's been personally difficult for me to not want to be a part of black culture because mm -hmm. it's amazing <laughs> I mean I think that's why because white people literally see what their ancestors have done to black people and then what black people did with that and it's such a beautiful struggle like truly I mean and so many parts of black culture are so dope and that's why so many people want to do it, but so many people just don't do it in the right ways, right? I mean, there are ways to appreciate Black culture and not appropriate it. There are, I mean, and that, but it takes time to understand how to do that. And I find myself struggling with that a lot because I really like wearing gold hoops, right? That's a big one. That's that's a very much a symbol in Black and Latina cultures. Um, and that's what is that they feel as comfortable as theirs right and so I still even today feel bad about it because I because I wear them and I like them you know and I also 
ask my friends of color for some type of validation at times. I'm like, hey, do you feel weird that I wear hoops? Like, is that, does that make you feel like I'm not appreciating you, but just taking parts of your culture? And they're like, no, I think that you know enough to be able to do that. And, I'm, and so I appreciate that. And I also know that not, that they're not speaking for all black yeah, people, yeah. right? You know, and that that's just their personal, and since I'm around them enough, that that's like good for me, right? I guess, mm -hmm. um, and so that's definitely something that I like struggle with. And I think a lot of people at Lincoln don't really realize is that, for one, like, if you're going to, if you want to do something from a different culture, you actually have to know somebody from that culture so that they can show you how it's done. Because you can't just figure it out on your own and do some research and then boom, you're done, right? It's like you actually, ha they have to welcome you in, into an understanding because it, you can't learn it from their, from not their perspective. And yeah. um, And even then you can't just assume that you know they're speaking for everyone exactly and you have to just take and that's why you have to take most of the saying the things they say and things you say with this grain of salt right i mean like it's important to not to not make so many generalizations especially with cultural appropriation because there's so many ways to do it since like kellen was saying black culture is so innately a part of america and that's that and they are the entertainers of the world and they are the fashion des the fashion designers and the inspiration for so much but yet they're pushed to the side and marginalized it's just it's it's a very interesting um and i feel like it's a lot of has, also has to do with a lot of white guilt being like oh i'm so sorry my ancestors did this to you like i love what you wear i love what you do i'm gonna do it but then they just kind of like miss the point you know and like all that of all that personal work and all that understanding and like and communication you know and i'm also not advocating that it's good just so <laughs> like because i don't agree with it as well even though i do partake in it at times mm -hmm. you know since uh, society is like thriving on white supremacy. Uh, I feel like they use pro blackness as a tool to try to get people to consume more. Yeah. Uh, because you know, it's, it's sort of the opposite, you know, it's, it's, it's feeding into the other side of these people's feelings, you know, their guilt, like it's, it's causing them to spend more. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. It's crazy. a lot of, yeah. Oh. No, very, I don't know, both of you guys have said very interesting things because I think, you know, when you do have dialogues about race, you know, it's very important to value and center people of color in the conversations, but, you know, white people also have to talk to other white people and kind of educate them because, you know, some white people really don't, they won't get the message from people of color, you know, like Liam said in the episode, you know, he had to have a middleman to like get to the rest of white people which I thought was, you know, a very valid point. So I think there would likely be some white people who would, you know, hear what both of you guys said and been like, wow, I understand. Or like, at least I realize this now. That's definitely a part of that. You know, I, I posted it on my Snapchat story about the uh, common white patterns is feeling intimidated or threatened by a person of color who is speaking either directly at you or directly at white people in general mm -hmm. because they of course are operating from the fear of not wanting to be racist it's like all this completely intertwinedness of like
being too scared to actually listen, which is kind of crazy because that's really just the most important part of understanding racism is listening. Yeah, I mean, the goal is to have um, anti-racist white people teaching other white people how to be anti-racist. You know, it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to rely on people of color. And this is a, this is something that's taken me a long time to like really realize and like figure out on my own. You know, we we can't be just relying on re-traumatizing people of color, having them recant everything that they hate that's going on because it, you know, it has long-term effects. It, it really does. You know, it makes you, I'd have never obviously um, experienced this and I never will. One of the few things, but like it's, it's a gut bomb for any person of color that I've ever known and cared about that. Like um, it's just a whole different type of feeling when it's, when it confirms all of the negative things that society has to say about you. I think that's a good note to end on because we're wrapping up, you know, thank you for talking with me today. I learned quite a bit of things because I think I have a lot of these conversations more so with people of color. And I know with both of you guys in critical race, the language that you guys use, I think is definitely, you know, more productive in these discussions and hopefully people, you know, maybe they're interested in the class or, you know, they pick up a book. Yeah, Yeah, this is such like a great platform to have. Like, I'm so excited that it's gotten so popular so quick and I expect super great things to come from this channel. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah, thank you. listening i hope you liked it i hope you learned something new i definitely learned some things that i think can be applicable to me in confronting anti-blackness as a person of color that's not black there's definitely some similarities or crossovers that parallel the experience of acknowledging whiteness and experience and acknowledging anti-blackness so i hope you enjoy i had a nice time a lot of the things we could have t- we talked about can definitely be expanded on. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed and stay tuned for next week's episode. Don't know what that is yet, but it should be good. <laughs>